at a time where religious worldviews and, uh, and philosophies all around us are demanding uh, attention. Uh, and they propose a new way of, uh, of thinking about God or even not thinking about God in the, in the case of atheism. That, that is a way of, of viewing the world, of living life without any reference to Jesus Christ. And that's the world we live in. We, we sort of breathe the air of this world around us. Uh, maybe grudgingly some people will say, well, maybe Jesus had a few useful things to say, but we, we don't need to, um, we don't need to uh, take him that seriously. Instead, they, they say, look, follow the answers that we're going to give you. Um, the answers you find in scientific rationalism or uh, other, other philosophies and worldviews. Uh, the latest buzz, it seems to me, is mindfulness. There's big money to be made in mindfulness these days. It kind of comes out of Buddhism. We just keep have new waves of, of how to live our lives apart from Christ. And on top of this, the Christian church has faced different movements that promise a breakthrough uh, that's going to transform our church life, that's going to transform our lives and take us to a new level of relationship with God or a new experience of power or fruitfulness in our lives. And so you, you look down through church history. There's been the movement of the monastic movement, which says, well, if we tr retreat from normal life and uh, go for a life of constant prayer and church services and singleness and celibacy, then we can be really serious Christians. Others say, well, we need more mysticism. Uh, if only we could get alone and uh, uh, start hyperventilating, I don't know, and, and seek visions, uh, seek, seek ecstatic experiences. That'll be the breakthrough with God. Others have said, well, we need more religion. Uh, we need grand buildings, we need priestly garments, we need incense and choirs and the numinous and, and the transcendent, and then we're going to, then we're going to get the breakthrough. Others have said, well, no, we need, a, we need a higher life of holiness. There's a moment, a breakthrough crisis that you can have, and, and sin will no longer be a problem for you. Others have said, well, no, we need to recover the place of, of miracles and healings. We, we need to have more emotional meetings where people encounter God uh, through experience than through their intellect. Others have said, no, we need to engage in spiritual warfare with the demonic. And when we, we grasp those things, we'll have breakthrough. Others have said, no, uh, we need to become more prosperous. Uh, we need to name it and claim it. Others have said, no, we need to learn from uh, the marketing world and the business world, and, and then we'll break through. Or others have said, well, we need to forget about this doctrine business. Doctrine divides. Let's just be authentic. Let's be postmodern. And so I'm just sketching out some of the myriad ways that we have these waves that, that come and sweep across the churches. And why are churches and Christians suckers for the promise of the next big thing? Why is that? It is because we've not understood the message of Colossians. And when, when the next big thing comes at us, I want us to come back to this book and heed Paul's uh, encouragement, his warning, and his exhortation. That's what I want to look at this morning. Let's think about this encouragement. And if I want to focus just on one verse, look at chapter 2, verse 2 in the book of Colossians. 2, verse 2 can move it on the slide my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love 
so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Why has Paul written this letter? It's a letter that's written to encourage us. That's why he sent Tychicus, it says in chapter 4, verse 8, to encourage their hearts. Here's a group of people who'd believed the good news about Jesus, preached by a man called Epaphras. They'd never met the Apostle Paul, but he writes to encourage them. And the letter starts with this long thanksgiving to God, for God was evidently at work in their lives. Even though they'd not met Paul, they'd heard the true message of the gospel from Epaphras, and it produced in them faith in Christ Jesus, love for God's people, and hope for heaven. And they'd not missed out. The gospel that had changed them was the very same gospel that is, that is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. And the great apostle takes time to commend Epaphras. He wants them to know that Epaphras is a dear fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on his behalf as an apostle. And I think one of the reasons why I love this letter is because in, the, in, in one sense, the church here at Charlotte Chapel is in the same place as the church in Colossae. We've not met the Apostle Paul, have we? Uh, but we have this letter that encourages us that we have the true apostolic gospel and that God has produced the same faith, love, and hope here in us. Isn't that wonderful? The same God is at work through this same wonderful gospel here in this church. And, and, and that's why I think I love this letter. But we need to hear and receive the same encouragement from Paul. He took the time to write this letter to help the church more fully understand what they had received when they believed it. This might be bad grammar, but I, it helps me. He wants them to get what they got in the gospel. That's why he writes. He wants them to really get it, what they got in the gospel. A friend was telling me of how his dad gave a very expensive picture uh, painting to his granddaughter as a wedding present. But my friend uh, was suggesting to his dad that he also should send a letter to his granddaughter so that she understood how valuable the picture was, how much it, it had cost, and how much it was worth currently, because she might look at it and think, I don't like that, and give it away. And he said, Dad, you better write a letter so she knows how valuable it is, so she doesn't just merely give it away. Now that's why the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church in Colossae, and why this is a great letter for us. It is to encourage us to see what we've got in Christ. When they had believed the gospel message, they had received Jesus Christ himself as Lord over their lives. They had received Jesus into their lives. Did they get how amazing this was? Do we get it? Do we understand this? Have we fully comprehended? Have, have we thought through how amazing it is that we know Jesus Christ? Uh, look back at uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Again, he, he, he writes to encourage them to, the, 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 so they will have the full riches of complete understanding to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. Do they understand what they have got in Christ? And so that's why we get some of the most exalted descriptions about who Jesus is and what he's achieved in, in this opening letter. Who is Jesus? If someone was to say to you this week, what does Jesus mean to you? What would you say? Who, what does Jesus mean to you? What, what, what would you say to them? Well, look back at chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus makes visible the invisible God. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What does He mean to you? Well, He, he reveals God to me. And remember, we, we thought that the, the important word bit of the firstborn is the first bit. He is the ruler over all creation. All things in creation, stars, planets, you and me were created through him, through Christ, and for Christ, and in Christ, in him, all things hold together. How important is Jesus? Well, he only made everything. It, it all holds together for him, and it exists for him. That, that's what he means to me. Christ is, is everything. And uh, he's the ruler, not just over creation, but he's the ruler over the new creation. Chapter 1, verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. If we've not yet understood the preeminence of Christ, then we have not yet got the full riches. This is how preeminent Jesus is. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And so the only place to know God is to look at Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. Nothing is to be found anywhere else. Not only is Jesus the only way to know God, he's the only way to get right with God. Look at verse 20. And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, my friends, this is, these are not just intellectual facts. These are life-changing realities. And so he goes on in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you. By Christ's physical body through death to present you one day holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. See, if they continue in their faith, holding on firmly to the hope that's held out in the gospel, this will be true for them. They'll be presented on the final day holy and blameless before God. Now, here's the point do we, do we get what we've got in the gospel? Do we understand what we've got in Christ? Do we get the magnificence of Jesus Christ? He alone reconciles and rescues and renews sinners. Jesus Christ is the one who, who reconciles us to God. He turns enemies into friends. Through Christ, God rescues us from darkness and brings us into the light. And he takes sin-damaged people and he renews them into the image of, of the Creator God. Do we get the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? He's not one among many. He is supreme. He's all-sufficient. He is preeminent. Everything exists 
because of him and for him. And here's Paul's encouragement to the church in Colossae. Do you understand what you've got in him? Do we get it? Because the point is, if we, if we don't have a right view of Jesus, if we don't get what we've got in the gospel, we are more susceptible to thinking that someone else can offer us something more. And that's specifically the threat that Paul uh, wrote this letter to warn them about. So secondly, it's a warning. And if you want a specific verse, look at chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. There are people who want to take us away from our faith in Christ. Do you know that? There are people who want to take us away from our faith in Christ. Be aware of this. Be warned of this. There are spiritual kidnappers who are trying to get you. They're trying to ensnare you. See, a new kind of um, teaching had come on the scene in Colossae, a new philosophy that was adding to what had been taught. It offered to give them something fuller, something more than they'd received. It's hard to pin down exactly what it was, but it seems to be something like this, that more religiosity would offer more special knowledge that could produce more spiritual breakthrough in their life. You've got the religiosity of spiritual festivals and holy days. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So uh, if, you, if you get into these religious festivals, you're going to get a new breakthrough, it says. Or these restricted diets, do not handle, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And religious rites like circumcision in chapter 2, verse 1. And all of these, this religiosity offered the promise of more knowledge through mystical experiences and visions. If you have a look at chapter 2, verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great details about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. These teachings seemed attractive and wise to the Christian church, but it was in fact empty. Look at chapter 2, verse 8 again. It is hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on tradition rather than on Christ. And as we thought... um, in my introduction, right down through history, there's always been those who tell us that there's something more that we can add to what we've learned about Jesus in the apostolic gospel that will take us to the next level. There are many groups still today that promise to give us something extra by following their gurus. Yes, the Bible is good, but you also need the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church, the magisterium. Yes, the Bible is good, but you also need the rights and insights of Freemasonry. Yes, the Bible is good, but you also need what Joseph Smith learned from the angel Moroni and the golden plates and join the Latter-day Saints of Christ Jesus. Oh, yes, the Bible is good, but you also need what Charles Russell taught and, and, and belonged to the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
they all claim the Bible and then they end up adding to it and so they diminish the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Be warned. People want to kidnap you away from Christ. Here's the warning. Don't be captured away from Jesus Christ by this hollow and deceptive philosophy that's based on human traditions rather than on Christ. And what's the antidote? What's the antidote that will protect us from the poison of false teaching? Well, it's something quite simple and quite wonderful. And here it is. It is the antidote of thankfulness. Thankfulness. Uh, This is sprinkled right through the letter. Chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. 2, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be what? I'm checking you're awake. And be thankful. Brilliant. 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving... To God the Father through him. 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and? Brilliant. See, when our lives are filled with gratitude and thankfulness to God, there'll be no room left for deceptive and hollow philosophies to find root in our lives. Because we're so filled with thankfulness, we know the riches of what we've got in Christ. So the encouragement of Colossians. Understand what you have in Christ. The warning in Colossians, don't be captured away from Christ. And finally, the exhortation is this. Continue to live in Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. This really is sort of the key theme of the letter. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted And built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Continue to live in Christ. Our lives are to be like plants whose roots go down deep into Christ and draw daily nourishment from Christ. Our lives are to be like a building that is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and growing up as a building that is strengthened in our faith in Christ. You received uh, Christ Jesus as Lord, as the boss of your life. Then continue the rest of your life in exactly the way you started the Christian life. Um, In obedience to Jesus as the boss of your life. Not wandering anywhere else. Not submitting yourself to any other person or thing as Lord. But instead growing in the faith that you were taught. Those words are very important. This is a letter that is encouraging the church in Colossae. That although they never met the Apostle Paul, what they heard from Epaphras was the true message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul takes time to, to introduce himself and, and, and tell them about how God had commissioned him, had set him apart to present the Word of God in its fullness, he says, 
And this is what they got in the preaching of Epaphras. Never trust any group that gives you something extra that sits alongside the New Testament, the apostolic teaching, that sits alongside or above the 66 books of the Bible. This and this alone is the authority in our lives that faithfully points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and enables us to continue to live in him. The key prayer that Paul has for them is there in chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, through these 66 books, we can come to a true knowledge of God. And Paul prays that they'll really understand it and grasp it because that's how they're going to live lives that are worthy of God and fruitful for God. We don't need any more waves coming through the church. It's here. We just need to dig deep into the word of God Continue to live in Christ is the message of the book of Colossians. And what that looks like uh, is spelled out in chapters 3 and 4. And we've spent the last few months uh, looking at it. If you've missed any of the sessions, please uh, go to the website and download it. Listen to it online and uh, listen to it as you go about. But in summary, here's the message of the book of Colossians. It's Paul's encouragement. Understand what you have in Christ. His warning, don't be captured away from Christ. And his exhortation, continue to live in Christ. And that's really why I gave the strap line to this whole series, stay rooted in Christ. And it struck me as I I preached my last sermon on this uh, this letter, uh, you always have better ideas the day after you preach. I don't know, preachers might resonate with that. You never quite get it done before, and you're walking next day thinking, oh, it would have been good to have said that, which is why I put on this extra sermon series here, uh, to the series. Um, that in chapters 3 and 4, not only do we have the shape of the Christian life, not only do we have the mission strategy for the church, but it struck me that what we have in chapters 3 and 4 is reflected in our four discipleship steps in our church vision. Love, grow, serve, go. And because we haven't heard about it for a few weeks, I thought I'd share with you. Think about this letter. It tells us to love God. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The Christian life is lived in union with Christ. It is Christ who is the source of our power, uh, the life that lives within the life of the Christian. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And uh, and so really it is vital that we find ways uh, to encourage each other in our love of God. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand. Uh, 
That's why as elders, we want to encourage you to come each Sunday to church, that together we can start the week with Christ. That church is a place where the peace of Christ rules over us. It is a place where the word of Christ dwells richly among us as we teach and admonish each other with with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Uh, So it starts the Christian life with loving God. Next point, growing in Christ-likeness together. That's where it goes on to next in chapter 3. 3 verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. And that's why we as elders want to encourage you to belong to a a growth group. Uh, and So that in a smaller community we can encourage each other to become more like Jesus. A place where prayer and through mutual support we can help each other rid ourselves of our sinful patterns of life and keep putting on the new self so we reflect more the glory of our creator that is Christ. Thirdly, serve Christ. That's where it goes on to next. 3 verse 23, for example. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so as elders, we want to encourage the church to find, that each member finds its place where you can serve the body of Christ in some way with your gifts and talents. Growing maturity in the life of a Christian is evidenced when people uh, decide that they want to serve others, that they move from being a consumer to a servant. And as well as the different ways we can serve in Christ's church, the book of Colossians reminds us that uh, we can serve uh, Christ in our roles at home, as wives and husbands, as children, as parents, in our roles at work, as employees and employers, that whatever we do, we can engage in it as an act of worship and service to the Lord Christ. And our fourth point, love, serve, grow. No, love, grow, serve. What's the last one? Go. Brilliant. Go make disciples. 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us too that God would open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. And again, as elders... We see that healthy discipleship will always be looking outward to connect with those outside the kingdom of God and make the good news of Jesus Christ known. For some of us, that'll mean direct evangelism. For all of us, that'll mean a life of of praying for opportunities, living wisely, and responsive evangelism, making the most of the opportunities that God gives us to point people to Jesus. And really, this is our vision as a church to see more and more people becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in the city of Edinburgh so that we will together glorify God. That's what we're to be about. What a great letter is the letter of Colossians, isn't it? What a wonderful letter. Even though we're going to head on to other things, keep chewing on it. It's great food for the soul. At the end of the service, we're going to put some questions up. And I encourage you to uh, think about asking these questions of each other. 
The less intense ones, what do you think of the sermon? He did go on a bit, didn't he? Yes, but what did you think of it? What did the sermon make you think about? Maybe for close friends, what about this? What are you thankful for? And what's the next step for you with Christ as we think about love, grow, serve, go? What's the next step for you? Well, thank you for your patience. There's just too much in this Colossians for 30 minutes. Let's stand.